All righty, folks. Welcome in podcast number one. I got my buddies here. We got Chris in the house. He's going to be doing the editing. So that's that's real load off of all of our shoulders. And <laughs> we got KR over here as well. So welcome on. Uh, glad to have you both here with me. Glad to uh, have our listeners here with us as well. We're going to be talking about some soccer. We're going to be talking some Champions League this week. Obviously, just finished up uh, the first leg of the round of 16. So we'll uh, we'll get right into it. Um, I think in terms of stories, what I, what I what what caught the, my eye today as I was I was scrolling through ESPN was just what in the world is going on at Barcelona. What in the world is going on with their leadership? You know, not not only getting arrested uh, under like fraud charges, but also the story comes out, and you know their what their CEO, their their head manager t- or team like uh, yeah, basically just their team leadership hired a marketing firm to put out negative press on their own players. What is going on? Okay. I don't I don't even understand why that makes sense. <laughs> well, first off, first off, first off, I will I will reject any insinuation that there is corruption in international soccer. You will not I will never admit to that. Um so that's number 1. Um number 2, I heard about uh, the whole fraud thing, but what's this about the negative marketing against your own players? Could you dive into that a little bit more for us, please? Yeah, so apparently he was paying a marketing firm to go against just like on social media put out like like mean comments and mean tweets and stuff against his own players it was like i think it was messi and pk uh, i don't know if there were any other players in there but i just read that i was like what were you what were you thinking yeah they basically had a social media firm or a company uh called 13 ventures and it basically got large sums of like wire transfers from the board from Barcelona who is creating accounts to basically um, I don't know what would be the right way to put it, but uh, put whoever is on the Barcelona team, put them in like a bad state of mind, essentially. I, I wouldn't, you know, bring it to a level of like cyberbullying, but essentially they were hiring people to bully their own players. Uh, and, and I think that just shows you some of like a whole cycle of what Barcelona has been or, or kind of where they're headed. I feel like they got to a point where they were just too good and they're like, you know what, let's do this. We can get away with it. Like nobody's going to really care if we keep winning games, right? Honestly, just like, I feel like I've seen a story like every month about how bad Barcelona's management has been like just with uh, acquisitions, with Suarez leaving, just just tragic errors and like I'm trying to think how this would make sense you know sometimes okay sometimes I I can get it when it comes to acquisitions you make a call you say you know we think Dembele's what's next Mm -hmm. and we're gonna go we're gonna go get him and he doesn't work out and that that may be just he didn't fit or he didn't get enough minutes or or he just didn't blend or maybe he's not as good of a player as they thought but but that happens every day, and, and yeah, scouts aren't going to get it right every time. But uh, I'm, I'm looking at this instance, and I'm thinking, who who is just like, yeah, you know what, this is a good idea. Like, I, I'm, I'm even trying to contemplate some of the benefits of, like, trashing your own players on social media. Like, what, they 
like you you earn maybe some some credit if you if you don't resign them or maybe like they 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 don't think they're as good so maybe they don't ask for as much money in their next contract that was the only like possible explanation I my guess is they're trying to maybe influence public opinion against and this is crazy to even say out loud against Lionel messi and pk two of your best players for not just two of your best players but Lionel messi is like one of the transformational generational talents in all of soccer and by the way he's about to like leave your club everyone thought (laughs) we've under we have not like we've been recording for a few minutes we have not even gotten to that part which is kind of the craziest thing of all the fact that you have Lionel messi who in my opinion is the best player in soccer right now um you know, I'm not against that whole Messi Ronaldo rabbit hole. Uh, reasonable people. Lewandowski, you gotta throw him in. That there. that could be another episode in itself. <laughs> yes, that could be a, an episode in of itself. But regardless, very, 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 very talented player, and they've managed to alienate him. The fact that he's still on the team and hasn't already been sold is just like yeah, part of their shady contract dealings where they managed to like get him to stay on a technicality. If I'm not misrepresenting anything. No, see, this is where, sorry to cut you off, Jacob, but this is where I kind of disagree with you, Chris, because that in and itself shows the corruption within soccer because Messi wanted to leave. I mean, and wherever he goes, people are going to want him to play, whether it be the MLS, the Bundesliga, or Premier League. Um, Like, wherever he goes, people are going to want him. It doesn't really matter. And they're going to pay whatever amount of money. But Barcelona says, no, you bring us a lot of money, so we're not going to let you go easily. And then the one thing they want to do is, you know, keep Messi but keep him happy in which which it results in their, you know, entire organization blowing up essentially. And uh, now, like, it's – you would think that that was the last straw, right? Messi wanting to leave. (laughs) Your best player wanting to leave. But it just keeps getting worse and worse and – I, I just want to know what's next. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been I, – I can't say I've been too, like, up on up on the story of Messi. I, I have heard about, like, him wanting to leave. And then I guess I heard that Barcelona was able to make some sort of deal. But – and then they, – so they, they went. They they cut all these corners. They, they tried to keep Messi, like, by whatever means possible. And then what do they do? They go out and they leak the contract yep. that he signed – and it's just like you have to ask yourself after after we were naming like I didn't even name this as one of the things that I heard about Barcelona management in the past couple months. And we're, we're forgetting stories where it's like, all right, if if just one of these happened, you'd be like, all right. Some, I'm, I'm, some people have got it. There's got to be some change in leadership. Yeah. And, and, and there's not been e- multiple. I wouldn't even say like changes there's supposed to be some sort of progress right you would think that a prestigious club like barcelona wouldn't like be this dismantled from the inside especially because like they have been succeeding in the past and in recent years um but now like every time i search at barcelona i just see barca gate and (laughs) it's turned into a whole basically a scandal um where it just looks worse and worse for them as things go on and then, of course, their their performance on the pitch definitely doesn't help. Yeah. Oh, they won today, but well, but. that's like the product. You muted yourself, Chris. I'm an idiot. Um, let's not forget <laughs> before. I'll have to edit that out. Let's not forget before 
all of this messy gate and uh, paying people to trash your payer, players online. And before all of that, the first sign that something was wrong with Barcelona was when the team that built through their academy, I'm talking like six of their starting 11 or whatever it was, uh, like we're from your academy and you develop them yourself. Like Barca was that team. All of a sudden around like, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, the La Masia pipeline kind of just stopped. Like if you look at Barca's roster now, like under the age of 30, there aren't really, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there are really any really talented players who have come from La Masia. Like it's mainly just them, you know, the guys who were from there either retired or they finally left the club uh, and they just buy players to replace them. And like, that's not Barca's way. Uh, Yeah. If they try to like become another club that just buys talent, like. And it's just so tough. But like, it's not like, that's not their style. They're not Manchester city. They're not Chelsea. They're not Bayern Munich. It's just not, it's not their MO. It's so tough. Yeah, I, I agree where you're coming from, Chris. It's just like, you know, they they went out. They did these high-level transfers. They got Suarez. They got Neymar. They get a lot of great players, and, you know, that did bring them some success. You know, you, you can't look at Barcelona and say they've been terrible over the past mm-hmm. decade because that's just not true. But when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, if you're buying a lot of players, if you're bringing in a lot of top, top players that are going to take up a lot of minutes – then your development's just gonna gonna suffer a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think it's in, it's gotten to a point where, you know, other teams in other leagues are also trying to do what old Barcelona tried to do, um, which is you know, like Chris, you mentioned, either develop a pipeline or uh, have ingrown ingrown talent that you know develops in house, but at the same time raises the value or you know just the attention that the club gets. And I feel like Barcelona, even Real Madrid, I would say, like they've both gotten to the point where people go there to basically get paid, but their performance isn't monitored as much uh, because they're, you know, I feel like one, their expectations are too high. Um, two, it's it's almost in a way where um, it's easy for them to do well in their leagues, but when it comes to, you know, an international scale like Champions League, it's they're not on par with any of these teams who have, again, young homegrown talent who is, you know, kind of taken the world by storm, essentially. Yeah, I think you brought up a cool thing. And I'm going to transition kind of off your thought a little bit. And maybe this will kind of show everybody how, uh, you know, I'm not the most uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to world soccer. But I think that one just cool aspect when you're comparing it to other sports is this whole concept that the team that developed the player gets like percentages of the contract whenever that player moves on and on and on um i just think it's a really cool concept obviously um for my context i'm comparing to you know american sports nfl nba where you know the farm system is is definitely not the same um as it is when it when it comes to world soccer but i really do think that is a cool concept that they have kind of built into those contracts um just to motivate teams really to focus on the developmental side and to to grow the game yeah and it's interesting you bring that up because that's the business model pretty much everywhere 
except for the United States, um, yeah. with the exception of the MLS academies. Um, you know, like all these, like I, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys had friends who, you know, played soccer, like these club teams, these travel teams, like they're kind of like privatized academies that aren't like affiliated with a club team, which is, I mean, MLS mm-hmm. teams have their clubs and uh, club academies and they actually function on a more normal basis, but most players don't go through those. They go through these other third party academies and it's this huge issue in American soccer. And I, I apologize if I'm going off a rabbit hole here, uh, but it's this whole system where basically like take DeAndre Yedlin, a guy who played in the premier league. Now he plays over at, I think it's Galatasaray. Um, he was developed by this club team outside of Seattle. And then he got signed by the Sounders and the Sounders didn't have to pay that club anything. So th- because they're not able to get money that way, they have to charge their players a ton of money and that prices out, you know, poor kids um, who, you know, can't afford that. And, you know, the consequence of that, in my opinion, and a lot of people who follow American soccer agree with this is, um, you know, we could have for every Christian Pulisic and, um, you know, Weston McKinney that we have right now, we could have 10 of them if we just restructured the system. Uh, Cause there are guys playing on the streets that are definitely technically gifted that aren't getting developed. And that's like a huge fight within the game of American soccer. And I think that's going to be one of the key things that, determine how high the United States goes. Cause it feels like they're on the precipice of getting back to the world cup and potentially doing some damage. Yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the things that I, I would say dislike about the MLS, right? One it's not necessarily is, MLS. It's the other like academies, like yeah. MLS I think has put together a good academy system. I'm sorry. I just, right. No, it, it makes sense. Like now that they're getting attention, right. Not, like that awareness will grow in a sense, but uh, like you mentioned, it's not, I would say, culturally built into, uh, like, the soccer system of the U.S., right? Like, in Europe, it's, if you're playing at a young age, like you said, you're affiliated with a, a professional club in one way or another, whether it be, you know, either in an academy or, or just, like, sponsored or, or, you know, a, I would say, a, maybe like a sister team, but on a very, very small scale, right? Um, but I think... In a way, in the U.S., you don't see that correlation. It's either, you know, you're, like like you said, playing either for, like, a high school, college, and then you get to professionals if you want. Um, I don't know if that, again, falls in part of the academy as a whole or just um, the effort that the U.S. doesn't put on soccer in terms of how much it, it forces people to, you know, learn more about baseball, football, whatever else it may be. I feel like because it's so big in the U uh, in Europe, it's not as much focused on in the U S. Yeah. I do think, I think you bring up a, a good point, just the cultural differences. Uh, obviously soccer, not the biggest market, not the most popular, not uh, you know, when you think about it, not where all the media is at in yeah. the U S nothing uh, quite as, as uh, popular as the other sports, but I do have, uh, one question going off here, because I know you both were kind of talking, thinking about restructuring, right? You know, if we wanted to do this better, how could we do it? And I actually know there was a uh, a guy who went to high school with me, and he was in the New York Red Bulls farm system program. But he also, like, he didn't necessarily play for them all the time. He went and played at the collegiate level. So I was wondering if you guys could kind of touch on that. What do you think about this whole, well, you're, you may be affiliated with the club, but 
actually, well, you're going to go to college and you're going to play for a college team in the NCAA. Are you pro that, con that, maybe uh, factor that into your reconstruction? Yeah, I think, well, that's the other issue is, you know, the difference between soccer and sports like football and to a lesser extent basketball. Um, college in those sports is like an integral step in the development of players. Like you cannot go from high school straight to the NFL. It will not work. You can, you, I mean, you used to be able to go directly from high school to the NBA. Now you got to take a year, be it college basketball or overseas or whatever. Um, but in soccer, it doesn't work that way. In soccer, you go pro like some cases, 15, 16 years old, which no other American sport does. Uh, the idea of a high school student being a pro athlete is like um, bizarre. Like when Freddie Adu played for DC United and we all know how his career turned out. Um, but when Freddie Adu played for DC United and he was 14 years old, like that was like, wow, a 14 year old playing pro soccer. And he was a bit young, even by soccer standards, but the point stands, um, you know, the pressure for someone who maybe isn't like a Christian Pulisic or a Weston McKinney is to, you know, get a college D one scholarship. And that's great. Like in terms of getting an education, but, someone who spent four years playing at like Duke or a school like that, you know, they're less likely to have a higher ceiling and go to play in MLS or Europe. Yeah. And I feel like that all again, ties back into the um, awareness and focus on, on, um, you know, soccer that's placed in the U S and I would say in terms of going about how the NCAA has played a role in it, I would say I'm, obviously provides, you know, an avenue for um, soccer players who want to be professional athletes to kind of go there and, and maintain their level of uh, skill development or, or get into an organization that will allow them to do that. But in terms of, you know, there's, again, like we mentioned, there's no direct affiliation with a club, right? It's, it's basically like the MLB draft, like you get drafted, but there's no guarantee to it. At least if you're in an academy team, right? Even if you're not getting a chance to play on the professional level, you're getting a chance to play for an academy that you know, even if you keep playing or training there, eventually you might have a chance to go to the professional squad or, or you know, start a game or two whenever, if somebody gets injured. But again, in the NCAA, like, like we see with all other sports too, if there's an injury, there goes your career, right? Like it's, it that, that, scenario still still lays um very high in you know i would say soccer too just like it does with the nba or the nfl or you know basketball or football but it's i think i would i the best way to fix it would be to adapt the european style of developing players right but to be completely honest it'll probably not happen in like the next 10 to 15 years well, I think I'm a little more optimistic than you are in that respect, because we already like there has been so much change. And I've been following this like since I started watching soccer, because my first uh, before I got into the Champions League and all that, I was an MLS guy and I still am. Um, but, you know, MLS, to their credit, has actually set up a pretty good academy system. The Red Bulls, for instance, have had several guys go overseas, most notably Tyler Adams, but also guys like Matt Miazga. Um, and others, you know, go on to Europe and have successful careers and, you know, be in the national team picture. Um, so like the system is there at the MLS level, but the problem is MLS has in like, I think it's like 26 markets, uh, 24 actually, cause New York and LA have two teams, but, um, out if you, if you're a soccer player who's really good 
and you're in like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an area of that team, like Oklahoma City, like you can't just pick up your life and go to an MLS academy when you're 13. Like you've got to, like, it's about taking what MLS has built and expanding it to other parts of America uh, and areas that are harder to reach because otherwise you're going to miss out on a lot of the talent pool. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. I think the system that MLS has set up in the last 10 years or so is actually a pretty good system from youth development. And you're starting to see that, you know, guys like even guys that didn't play in MLS directly, like Pulisic, actually not Pulisic, but McKenney, um, Chris Richards, who's also playing at Bayern, uh, a couple other guys, Sergio Dest, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those guys he's were at in MLS. Barca. Yeah, he's at Barca Dest now, but Barca. I, I think maybe not him specifically, but there are guys that, my point is, there are guys that played MLS academies that didn't play in MLS, but like they're having successful careers. So, the system works. It's just a question of expanding it. I think, no, I completely agree with you in, in terms of it's working, right? We've obviously seen an uptick of um, American players go over to Europe and, and have an impact um, on whatever team they're playing for. But I would say in time, in terms of growing um, the pool of players that we have, I think that is where the difference lies in between the way that Europe does it and the way that U.S. does it, right? Because the U.S. is like, you're going to get a scholarship to play um, and then you might get signed by an academy. Right. But in Europe is they don't play for high school or college. It's if you want to play, you go and try out for an academy. If you get selected, there you go. Like there's your shot, but here it's almost like you have to earn it. But then once you earn it, there's no guarantee that you're going to go to the professionals. Um, I mean, again, that comes with its pros and cons because uh, there's a safety of you, you know, being able to play, but also, you know, not guaranteeing that you might have a shot to go to the professional level. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I think just to go back to what Chris was saying, like even something like geography, like geographical differences between the U.S. and other European leagues, like when you think about it, U.S. cities and populations are more spread out across the country. And that is something that, that makes it a little bit tougher when you think of academies. And I also think it really changes the culture of how we view soccer. Like, you know, as someone, you know, me personally, not obviously being that knowledgeable, that uh, not really paying attention much to soccer until the past couple of years. One of the cool things that I appreciate about it is just the culture in Europe where it's, you know, just the, the whole location is kind of banding together around one team and, I really don't see that much with the MLS. I think you could see that a lot more with football in America, uh, where you think about, all right, everyone in this area likes a certain team, but even then it's, it's still not the same. And, and I know we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk about uh, American uh, soccer culture versus uh, European, other countries uh, culture and, and how they view the sport. But yeah, I'll, uh, if I'll I could, um, a, a yeah, if I could here. get in uh, one more thing on that uh, before we move on. Um, I feel like MLS right now from a popularity perspective is a regional sport um, in the sense that, you know, like for instance, Red Bulls are, you know, they have a, a small passionate fan base, but like half of New York is not tuning in to see a Red Bulls game, yep. but there are other markets like Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, um, to a lesser extent, LA, where like, you know, Atlanta United was selling out like 60,000 seats at times. Seattle gets 45, 50,000, you know, pre-corona of course but 
um, like, you know, parts of the, I think it's a regional sport, kind of like hockey. Like there are markets where the NHL is huge and there are markets where it's an afterthought. I think MLS is like in that stage right now. Um, so yeah. The challenge is expanding it. And they always, like you said, expanding it. They always have teams that are expanding. Uh, we recently saw, you know, Miami FC come in and that's been a success anyways. You're going into, um, you know, Florida, who's heavily populated um, with Hispanic fans of soccer or football. And yeah, it's, it's, you're bringing it to, to people who want to see it. And I think that's the right approach. Um, and in terms of expansion, Chris, I completely agree with you that, you know, MLS is definitely going the right approach. Um, I obviously wasn't a big fan of the MLS, you know, when I started watching uh, soccer, football. Uh, I don't know how we should refer to it throughout this show, by the way. Soccer. Football or soccer? We're from New Jersey, KR. Speak for yourself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's getting there, right? Like, when I came here, it was all about the NFL and the NBA, and now, like, I see all sports, including – soccer and the MLS uh, on the big stage. So um, I'm just looking forward to where it's going to be in a couple of years, especially when um, the World Cup's going to come here. we got to overtake hockey first. And then from there, we're going to the moon. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll transition. I don't know if you guys have any topics that you guys uh, want to talk about, anything that stood out to you uh, before we discuss some of these uh, matches here from the round of 16. Well, I quickly, I know we were talking about, um, you know, homegrown U.S. talent going overseas. And um, Weston McKinney was actually signed by Juventus to a permanent contract today. Um, and I'm kind of hyped about that just because he gets to play with another, you know, developing team rather than just being a lone star and then going back to um, his Bundesliga club, which I can't think of the top of my head right now. But uh, I, th I think him being in Syria is going to with Juventus is going to really give him an opportunity to mature his growth, just like Pulisic is in the premier league. Yeah. And there's a, uh, there's not many uh, better players to learn from other than uh, Ronaldo. So definitely, definitely. I'm sure he's appreciating any, any type of knowledge he can, he can take from that legend. Chris, Chris, you got anything you want to talk about? Yeah, no, I was actually going to bring up that same story. I think McKenney is like sort of him and Pulisic are like two like real breakthroughs in the sense that they're not only like on the roster of a like a really big, big club, um, but, you know, McKenney's a guy and, you know, Pulisic too. Um, I mean, Sergino Dest is starting to break his way through in Barca. Um, whether it's still a big club two years from now is another debate, but uh, I'll stay out of that <laughs> for now. Um, but that's something that we've never really seen before. Like no, before when a, an American went to Europe, it'd be like Tim Howard with Everton or Clint Dempsey with Fulham. Like they played well, they were good, but like this is the opportunity to take it to the next level. And, you know, that's also just good for the marketing of soccer in America and, you know, makes American soccer look better around the world, which I think is a net positive. All right. Any final uh, thoughts on that, Kara? Uh, all right so i guess we'll we'll transition into talking about some of the matches here and i can kind of let me know what what you want me to read off obviously i'll give you guys a score you know goal scorers and, and minutes there do you do you care for any specific statistics chris are you a, are you a big shots guy 
Maybe maybe a possession <laughs> guy. Um, I mean, no, I'm not really crazy about the stats. I'll just talk about the game and like, you know, just general thoughts on it. Okay. Okay. What about you? You you big big pass accuracy type of person, or do you care mostly about yellow cards? I'm I'm a big. <laughs> the cards matter only when they're given to uh, Sergio Ramos, but that could be for another time as well. Uh, but I am a big numbers guy. You know, I like to pay attention to different trends and stuff, especially depending on the different, um, you know, tactics or formations that the coach might use. But again, that all varies in the form that the team's in overall. Um, but again, each game can be different and uh, results are always, you know, exciting. They're the fun to watch regardless. So numbers are a part of the game, but I don't pay attention to them that much. Okay. I'll just, I'll call out anything I think is, is notable. How about that? All right. So we'll, we'll start here. Uh, Everybody Leipzig, uh, Liverpool, I believe they played at a neutral site. Uh, it was supposed to be in uh, Germany, but uh, obviously coronavirus causing, causing challenges. Uh, Liverpool coming out on top here, two nil. Mo Salah, 53rd minute goal. Uh, Sadio Mane, 58th minute. So, you know, pretty much a, a bang, bang victory here for Liverpool. Um, I think they've been going through some injury troubles. Liverpool has, they've, uh, I, I see some news about them every once in a while. I think they've, they've, uh, uh, notably given up, uh, when it comes to winning the Prem, uh, I'm not sure what that does for the confidence of the players, but it seems like they were able to come through uh, against uh, Leipzig here. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, first to that point, you know, the Premier League race being, you know, the statistics, the 538s of the world say that City is like virtually a lock to win the. Oh, hold uh, your horses, buddy. They're, they're very likely to win the Premier League at this stage. So that's important for Premier Leagues in the, in the Champions League in general, like, for instance, City feels like they're probably going to win it. Like they're not necessarily going to go um, balls to the wall to try and win a week weekday matchup against West Ham. Like you know, <laughs> they can focus on the Champions League and same thing hey, for Liverpool. Hey, like, don't they, go it, after West Ham. They're yeah, don't sleep fourth. on them. Okay, <laughs> I just use them as a random team to illustrate. All right, Sheffield United. You happy with that? Okay, no, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but uh, seriously, though, that changes the dynamic because like you've got you know other teams and other leagues that are in like tight title races. And they have to prioritize both of those. Whereas in the case of the Premier League teams, now they can say, all right, we'll rest so-and-so for the league game so they're ready for Champions League on Tuesday. Okay, uh, so you think this might actually be a benefit for them I because think it's a benefit. they're able to rest some of their stars and say, hey, we're going to we're gonna come full tilt at you when it comes to uh, your uh, their UEFA games. Yep. Yeah, especially because especially I, I completely agree with that because they can – it's basically like load management, right? Like you can keep your best players for, for more competitive matches. Um, we know there's younger guys who tend to kind of go all out uh, when it comes to big games like Champions League rather than, you know, league matches. Um, but that, all, all that kind of plays into the factor of rest and just how everything's going, especially under COVID, right? Because uh, one, they have no fans or, or limited fans depending on where they are in the world, right? Um, mm. But it's also in a sense where um, there's going to be guys out there who are, you know, fully rested on, on like a three, four day rest rather than, you know, like a couple of weeks rest because they didn't play in a, in a league match where they were on the bench. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Obviously Liverpool's got, got a couple of players that are just really, really good. I mean, arguably one of the best front three uh, attackers in the, in the world um, in uh, Mane, Salah, Firmino, just, just really good players. And it's, it's honestly, I'm a little bit surprised to see them, you know, fall out of the top five, I guess, where, where the um, Prem stands right now, but I, I imagine they're, they're still working for a spot in, uh, in uh, the, um, some of the international competitions next, next season. But I would say, you know, my thought here is, and, and I do want to bring this up because um, I feel like, uh, it's it's notable here. RB Leipzig plays a back three um, with their defense, and to go against the likes of Mane, Firmino, Salah, <laughs> uh, with just just three defenders back there. I know obviously the mindsets are different. Maybe you drop your your midfielders a little further back, but me personally, I don't know if I'm a fan of of playing a back three in, in most situations, and and certainly not against the likes of those guys. Yeah, I would if I were coaching, say I were coaching like a team like Leipzig or someone who's like good but not like Liverpool level. Like it seems like the obvious strategy here is to play like a 5-3-2, have like three center backs, two wing backs, and then you can, you know, send the wing backs forward in a counterattack. Um so you can kind of, you know, keep guys back and then you know you can turn defense into offense. Um but three in the back line, that that does they, not it does not make sense to me. I'm sorry. Like I'm no master tactician, but it just I don't know. Doesn't seem smart. They do. I believe they start with four, but they transition into a three back over time, um, like throughout the game. Because we know, like you guys mentioned, we have a bunch of modern day wing backs who think they can play midfield or, or attack. But um, they do start with four in the back. But uh, I just feel like the ball movement by Liverpool and um, you know the Liverpool front line, like you mentioned, it's going to be something that they're you know trying to match and if they're if they can't crack through the Liverpool defense they might as well send in a guy up forward you know what I mean um especially if they're trying to beat one of the top teams in, in the in the not the nation but the world yeah obviously coming off a, a great season in in years past and yeah. yeah there's definitely uh words to be said about that balance there like yeah you want to defend but maybe you got to try to keep uh Liverpool on their toes especially you know, lacking uh, Virgil van Dyke. Um, so before we move on to our next game here, I want to get you guys thoughts on the upcoming matchup. Um, I'll let, I'll let Chris start on this one. What do you think is going to happen when these uh, two teams meet again? I mean, I honestly don't see any other, uh, any other outcome here than Liverpool moving on. Um, I think the dynamics of it are really fascinating because on the one hand, you've got Liverpool a team that has a lot of attacking talent um, but you know, they're not going to necessarily be pressing for extra goals. Uh, and that was supposed to be their away leg. Is that correct, Jacob? Yeah, that's correct. I yeah. If that's their away leg. Like, I mean, they've got two away goals. They had a shutout. Like, I mean, that's I'm like not sure case. what, yeah, I'm not sure what England's, um, like standing stance for COVID is if, if the German players will be allowed to go there, but I think yeah, we'll have to that's, see. that's a good question, but I'm speaking more from the away goals perspective of the tiebreaker. Mm, uh, so yeah. basically RB Leipzig would have to win three nil mm-hmm. like to win. So like, that's, that's going to be very difficult. I mean, I think, 
if you're Leipzig, you got to just, you know, go full sends. All right, we're going to send more attackers forward, get a goal early. Um, and I think Liverpool's going to pounce on the counter. I think Liverpool's going to win this one probably by a couple goals, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. And uh, currently they do have it, do have uh, this game going on in Anfield and Liverpool. So um, obviously Liverpool with, with home field advantage and with what they've done with um, the last match, I do think this will probably be another 2-0 or even a 3-0 matchup. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Leipzig is able to, you know, get one goal back, but that's about it. I don't see them kind of going out there and uh, getting a 3-0 win. But, hey, listen, we've seen this happen before. So I, that's, this, this is why I love the Champions League, because even when you think that a team is, you know, for sure through, um, one game can kind of change it all. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Liverpool and Barcelona, um, either – no, yeah, a couple of years ago. I believe it was two years ago. Um and they like Liverpool came back and finally got in. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens to them uh, in return, but I'm sure there would be a lot of people who would be happy if it does happen. <laughs> I mean, I think the prime example of that would be Barca PSG. Yeah. Like, what was that, four years ago now? I think it was 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that I mean, comeback yeah. from a 4 1 or something like yeah. that? Yeah. 4 0. Yeah. I mean, that's just nuts. So. Yeah. All right. I'd say my my take here. I think I got a little confidence in in Airbnb Leipzig. Uh, I've got a little weird feeling about Liverpool with their mindset being like, you know, we're kind of out of the champions or sorry, out of the prem this year. Not sure how they will be mentally coming into it. My money's on uh, Leipzig to make it close. Uh, but I think uh, Liverpool comes away with this one as well. Um so next we'll move on. And I know we, we had some talk about Barcelona already and, and, and some of some of the antics there. <laughs> uh, they uh, they fell to PSG uh, four to one. Uh, Messi coming out, scoring first on a penalty. Um, and then from then on, basically the uh, Mbappe show, uh, you know, having a lot of good chances and, you know, ending up with a hat trick. Um, Keen also scoring in the match um guys takeaways Killian Mbappe is very good at soccer very good. I, I know that's basic but like I mean like, <laughs> go back and watch that game like there were times when he was just making defenders look silly um I mean I'm talking we're talking about a guy that is an elite finisher um a guy who can take on defenders um you know someone who's also really fast really athletic and he's in his early 20s and he's doing this. So, like, he's going to be a force in world soccer, as Croatia, unfortunately, learned two years ago. Um, he's going to be a force in world soccer for the next decade and a half. Uh, so yeah. I'm excited to watch him uh, continue to grow into uh, one of the world's best players. And, you know, he showed what he can do, um, made Barca look like um, <laughs> an Divisi squad. Like, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, and if I'm if I'm PSG, I'm really happy with the amount of chances that Mbappe's taking. He's getting the ball on his feet. He's getting a lot of shots on goal. And obviously, if, if I'm PSG, I'm thinking we're we're gonna be uh, we're gonna want him to be the one taking a lot of shots, especially um, without the likes of Neymar, who who did not play in this game. So uh, I I really 
I really think for PSG looking forward, you know, obviously having Neymar back, never going to hurt uh, any squad, basically. Yeah, and I think PSG is just happy having Mbappe there. I know they're in early on in his career, they had a couple of talks with him going to Real Madrid or, um, you know, somewhere else in the world, basically. But the fact that he's there and he's playing at an elite level that even, you know, the, the people who are already at the top of the game recognize and kind of commend at this point in his life, like I can only imagine where he's going to go in, let's say, like three, four years from now. Um, but again, it seems like PSG is obviously headed in the right direction. Um, even though they lose <laughs> crucial players, it just seems like they're just getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, he's a uh, Mbappe, certainly a, a rising star um, mm-hmm. and definitely fun to watch. So going to be looking forward to seeing what he can do. PSG obviously coming off an impressive uh, performance in the Champions League last year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm favoring them to, to keep going here. I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to take them, uh, moving past Barcelona after, after the next match without too much sweat. Uh, what are you guys takes for the next game? Yeah, same thing. Um, I mean, they're already up four one. I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona somehow ties this game, but I don't see them, you know, winning by as many goals needed to move on. Uh, PSG probably still moves on, but this game, let's hope it's closer to Barcelona because if it's not, uh, they're going to be on the news again. <laughs> I mean, I saw some uh, Twitter accounts from Barcelona talking about how Messi and Piquet <laughs> have no interest in doing well in this game. So, um, no, it's, no, but seriously, like, Barca is kind of a hot mess right now. Um, you know, PSG is playing some of their best football. Uh, I, I think they're a dark horse uh uh, to really make a run at winning the whole thing. Although I wouldn't really call them a favorite right now, um, but I, I think they win this series easily. All right. Well, we'll, we'll move on here to Sevilla Dortmund. Um, so that one fairly close, close game here. Excuse me. Uh, Dortmund uh, coming out with the win in the end, three to two. Uh, Suso and uh, Luke de Jong scoring for Sevilla. Um, Damao, Damao, sorry, and uh, Harlan scoring for Dortmund. Uh, Harlan uh, tallying two. What are you guys' thoughts here on, on this matchup? This is probably one of the closest matchups uh, so far in the Champions League. Obviously, we might see some stellar matchups later on, but I don't know. I feel like Dortmund are just so comfortable playing with one another, no matter, you know, kind of who's on the pitch because they have such a young squad. Um, And Sevilla is, they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're good. Uh, But again, Dortmund has that one goal advantage, one away goal advantage. And uh, that, again, will play a big role. To be honest, I do think that Sevilla might sneak one out and kind of win like two to one to force extra time. Um, But again, I feel like it'll be a close one. In the end, I do think Dortmund will move on, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes into extra time or let's even say penalty kicks. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think think one thing here that I wanted to bring up in just the soccer concept is, is sort of the talk about star power, right? I think when we're looking at the lineups, we can see, you know, 
Dortmund seems to have, you know, more stars, more big names. Um, and, you know, typically uh, I'm of the mindset that, you know, in, in the Champions League, in big games, that's when you want to have these stars, when you want to, when you need a little bit more than just a good sound team mm-hmm. uh, to win big games with it on the line. But Sevilla showing uh, that they can give uh, Dortmund a run for their money here. What do you think, Chris? I think you're on mute. Yeah, sorry, my screen froze there for a sec. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I have a hard time betting against Borussia Dortmund, um, just because I feel like they're kind of underrated from a talent perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that they're one of the younger teams in Europe, but they're a team that I think has a tendency to punch above their weight. They're very well coached, um, and honestly, and I'll, and I'll admit I didn't really see too much of the first leg of this game, so I'm kind of uh, speaking from a from what I know about the team in general, I would probably go with Dortmund to win this series. All right. I'm uh, one, one thing I do like about this game, Holland scoring two goals. Um, I think a lot of people may have him compared up against Mbappe for, you know, kind of rising stars in, in world soccer. And gosh, his, um, I don't know if I can even explain it well, but he does just has really good, runs where he goes from the left center back to behind the right center back and vice versa, moving diagonal, getting a ball over the top. It is, it is beautiful to watch when he is not playing the team that you're rooting for. He's just, just a great player. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to him doing well here. Uh, I, I have uh, Dortmund coming out on top as well in the next game. What do you think, uh, KR? Yeah, uh, like I said, it's probably going to be maybe a close game. Um, Sevilla's experienced. Uh, Dortmund is young. I think young kind of, you know, wins it out. Like I said before, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes into extra time or penalty kicks, but I do see Dortmund kind of coming out on top just because of the young depth they have on their squad. All right. All right, moving on to the last of the uh, kind of first uh, weekend or first couple days of the first leg we got Porto uh, with uh, what I believe is a pretty big upset against uh, Juventus obviously a disappointing performance for Ronaldo I was watching some of the highlights from that game he didn't have a ton of chances and you know Porto coming up with a, uh, a big goal a, a stunner goal Right in the beginning of the game. Um, oh, I didn't. I didn't say the score at the beginning. Porto. Uh, Porto won two to one. Um, and really, Juventus, you know, didn't score until 82nd minute. Um, so they were out of it, I think, for a long time. But Porto coming on, just taking a taking an error from Juventus uh, at the goalkeeper position, and and putting a, a goal in right at the beginning of the game, doing the same thing right at the start of the second half. Um, and when I see that, uh, honestly, I have to think about coaching and, you know, are, are your players, are your players coming out? Are they ready to go right from the beginning just to give up? The first goal definitely was, uh, was a clear error. The second goal, I also think, you know, it wasn't that, um, how should I say? It wasn't like that tactical of a goal. It was a pretty simple center pass and, just just a lack of of defending from Juventus and I, I, I got to question the coaching at this point what are you guys thoughts yeah I mean 
to be honest, there's been a lot of games where Juventus gets caught off guard. Um, and knowing that Porto is an experienced team and they have uh, players who've kind of seen it all uh, in one way or another throughout their careers, I'm not surprised that they were able to capitalize on just, I would say, moments that Juventus was kind of sleeping, right? Um, and obviously everybody's there, but all teams that are currently in the tournament, they're there to win. And Porto is going to take whatever chances they get. Um, surprising to me, again, just because of how sloppy Juventus plays. But again, like I said, they're one of those teams where if they're not having a good day, it's going to be a really, really bad day for them. Um, but it, I think they still have the ability to obviously bounce back. They have a really, really talented squad. And um, I think they have something to kind of motivate themselves to go out there and perform better in the next match. Chris, your thoughts here? Well, I mean, Juventus just, you know, they're going to come out with everything they've got, not just because they're down in the series, but like, because they're just like, I'll put it to you this way. If Juventus goes out in the Champions League to Porto, like that's a disappointment that will define their season. Even if they win Serie A, um, you know, their fans are, are focused on the Champions League. Um, so I think that they're going to have a pretty aggressive game plan. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for Porto to replicate what they did again against uh, Juventus. I think they're just a far more talented team. Uh, I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with Juventus in this one. Yeah, I think I'm going to take uh, Juventus coming back and, and getting the next uh, win here. Uh, one notable scratch from their game against Porto, Dybala, uh, I believe coming back from injury, didn't play. Um, I think he's a, another great player, um, who uh, I think obviously means something to that team. Um, and hopefully he's able to bounce back, uh, by the time they, they face Porto again. And I, I see him coming, uh, with a bit better of a mindset. Yeah, I think, uh, I completely agree with you guys. I do think Juventus bounces back again. They only need one goal to kind of send it into a tie, uh, two to win. Um, and I think they can do that especially with the likes, like you mentioned, Jake or Jacob, uh, with the likes of Dybala coming back. And uh, that's obviously going to bolster the squad. And um, I think they can kind of close this one out. And they're going to be playing at home. So have that going for them as well. All right. So we've, we've kind of wrapped up, uh, you know, the first four games, moving into the second four now. Um, so we've got – first off, we'll start with uh, – Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea coming away um, with a one goal to nil win. I think uh, I was watching the highlights. Seemed like a very competitive match. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, from, from my point of view, I see Chelsea as, as one of the best uh, equipped teams um, in terms of players, in terms of skill. Um, but uh, I, I'm kind of questioning their ability to, to get it done here. They've had a lot of high profile signings that, you know, when you think about, did they work out? It's kind of like, eh, was it really worth the money that uh, Chelsea ended up paying for him? Um, but, you know, they, they come out here, they, they get the win against um, and Atletico team that I, I believe leads uh, La Liga. So I, I'm sure that has to be motivating for them. Care the, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, 
listen, I was a big fan of Chelsea going into the season just because of, like you mentioned, the signings they had, having Kai Havertz come on and, um, you know, bolster that offense. And everything was kind of going good for Chelsea in the beginning, I would say. Um, and then I would say just the Frank Lampard curse kind of set in and <laughs> everything started going downhill. Uh, but this was a nice way for them to bounce back, right? They still have, again, a squad full of young uh, players and um, going against a semi-experienced uh, or just a mixture of a squad of Atleti. Um, but I would say in terms of this next match, uh, it's still only a one-goal lead. Um, next game is going to be taking place at Stamford Bridge in London. Um, so they obviously have home field advantage. I don't know. I feel like it'll probably be a 1-1 tie. And then because of the one-goal lead that Chelsea has, they might uh, kind of eke this one out and advance to the next round. Yeah, yeah. Certainly a, a possibility here. Chris, your thoughts on Chelsea? Yeah, again, this is a team with its season on the line, in a sense, with the Premier League, um, not really a competitive race. Um, you know, I think Chelsea has all the talent in the world, um, but you know, having to deal with the whole situation with Lampard, which, um, you know, say what you want about Lampard as a coach, I'm still surprised that it ended the way it did, uh, just because of what he's done for that club as a player, but you know, is what it is. Uh, I think Chelsea's looking at this as an opportunity to rebound and you know, try to get something out of the season. And you know, I, I think they're going to win this game. All right. I'm, I'm going to take the, the other side here. I'm going to take Atletico Madrid. I don't think they'll win by much. I think it'll, it'll probably be another close game uh, in the next match, but I, I think Atletico can squeeze it out. I think, um, you know, Chelsea's kind of fluctuations, Maybe they, they wind up on a bad game in the next one. And I think Atletico is just a solid team. I like uh, Luis Suarez kind of opening back up into his element. Um, and then um, I'm going to pull for them. That's, that's my take for their, uh, their next match coming up. Um, so the next match we'll talk about here. And full disclosure, I, uh, I am a Bayern Munich fan, so... Uh, you you all uh, can know my my bias uh, straight up here, but Bayern getting um, pretty easy win uh, against Lazio, uh, four to one. Uh, Bayern scoring early uh, with Lewandowski, Musiala, uh, and Sane scoring all before uh, Lazio got one back in the second half. Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, my apologies. It was it was four to nil before. Lazio got one back in the in the second half. Um, my my take, obviously, I, I watched this whole game, so definitely definitely pretty excited as a Bayern fan. And, and I'll I'll kind of give you both sides of the story here. I'd say, you know, it maybe maybe you're not super excited if if you're a Bayern fan because you think, well, I think a lot of their goals came off of, you know, errors that Lazio made, whether it was that own goal, a back pass that uh, Lewandowski stole, or, you know, a missed tackle that, that led to the uh, Sané goal, I believe. Um, but to that, I, I'd kind of argue that that's what the best teams do. They're not going to let you make mistakes. Even something like one, one missed tackle, you're going to, they're going to get a good chance at the goal. And, and, you know, if you if you if you give them enough chances, they're going to put the balls in the back of the net. And 
you know, as a Bayern fan, I have to say I'm pretty excited, um, especially thinking about um, that uh, that Bayern was, uh, I'd say, a little bit short-staffed without Muller, without Narbury. Um, some of their depth was missing, and we got some guys uh, still coming back from COVID testing um, and injuries that, um, that I think can improve the team. And, and I do have to say that I think that while, while Byron's had some, some impressive showings for the last two games, I still don't feel like they're at the top of their potential yet. Um, and that may sound like a bad thing, but they're still winning a lot of games and I think they're moving to get there. So, uh, uh, me as a Byron fan, pretty, pretty excited with this outcome, of course. And, uh, uh, looking forward to the matchup this weekend against Dortmund, but I will, I'll shut up for a little bit. Let you guys give your thoughts. Byron scares the, sh- the crap out of me. Scares the crap out of me. Just a- everything about them. They're so loaded at every position. Um, they're, they're almost like a well-oiled machine in how they operate. Um, they'll break you down with their passing. They're not like a team that likes to take a lot of chances, but they're very efficient at converting uh, in the attacking third of the field. Um, you know, as a city fan, as a fan of a club that I really want to win uh, the Champions League, I- I'm looking at Bayern and I'm like, uh-oh. Like, this is like, I-, I think they are more than almost any other team left in the round of 16 they're the team that i fear the most uh about facing uh as we get to the later rounds yeah i would probably consider them heavy favorites as well um but i also enjoy watching just play because of you know how much they move the ball around they're like a very heavily tactical yet uh, a team that loves to take risks because of the players they have right they have young players who are able to kind of go out there and provide to the experience that they have on the team, such as Lewandowski. And then um, they, for some reason, I, when I see them play, I always see them play with more hunger than any other team. Uh, and that it shows on the pitch, right? I mean, they're beating Lazio 4-1 in a Champions League match. And that's with missing three of their four starters or three of their, you know, 11 starters. And, um, it they can put in anybody on that pitch and they can still go out and win 4-1. That should scare anyone or any club in the world. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see this game, this next game going any other way. Uh, I mean, they have a three-goal lead. Like, if, for them to choke that, it's probably going to take the entire team to get COVID or something like that, which <laughs> don't think it will happen anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, I think Bayern's, Bayern's weakness um, from what I've seen is um, – pacey of strikers if you can if you have a if you have a forward that can that can just run past uh, our center backs because we play such a high line such a high press uh, it's going to be dangerous but I don't know if I see anyone on on Lazio that uh, uh, that I'm too worried about and that's why again yeah I'll uh, I'll ride with Bayern for the for the next match here at least um okay so we'll uh We'll move on here to uh, Real uh, Atlanta. And honestly, I, I was surprised uh, this game. I think that if I'm Atlanta, I'm, I'm fairly impressed. They had a, uh, a sending off in the 17th minute. I thought it was a, a pretty soft red. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have, have seen the clip. I thought it was a soft red. I think 
certainly deserving of a yellow, but it wasn't, um, I wasn't, I feel like it wasn't malicious enough uh, to, to really earn that full red card. But despite that, it, it was a red and, and they played, you know, you know, uh, 70, nearly 70 minutes of the game against Real Madrid, top team storied club, you know, played against the man down and only gave up one goal uh, in the 86th minute. Uh, I, if I'm at, if I'm at Atlanta, I'm obviously love to come out with a win, but I, I'm feeling, feeling fairly motivated just because of that performance. What are you, what are your guys thoughts? I mean, I know in the beginning, we kind of discussed about who's a stack guy or not, but you know, 68% of the ball was controlled by Riyadh throughout the whole match. So it's like, it's never like they lost a grasp of the game, but um, it never comfortably felt like they ever had it, right? Um, and as for the red card, you, uh, I do agree with you that it was kind of, you know, a little touchy, but I feel like nowadays whenever it's, you know, upper body related, they're all, all always going to kind of um, go for the player and try to send a warning or a message, right? Uh, but again, like you, uh, like you mentioned, they had 70 minutes with a full squad that was tied and then they lost one and you have a goal to a left back nonetheless, Mendy <laughs> on the 86 minutes. So um, again, I would say, I would say for this game, there's a lot of football still left to, still left to play. Um, it's going to be hard for Atlanta because uh, we always always get at home. Like we, we, everybody knows that. So Atlanta is going to have to, kind of kick it up a notch uh, if they want to win. But I think Real holds on um, by a brink, maybe even a goal. Um, we'll, we'll see. Chris, your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm with KR. I mean, Real's just too talented here. And uh, I don't think Atalanta has what they need uh, from a talent perspective to keep up. And, you know, 68% possession, like KR mentioned, that just that, – that basically just tells you – the story right there in terms of how dominant Real is in this matchup. And, you know, I, I think this is like the easiest one to predict. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to arrive with you guys here. I think definitely Real will close it out. Um, I'd say in terms of their, their future, I'm, I'm a little nervous at some of these close games uh, against I mean, what I view to be inferior teams here, like uh, Atalanta. I know they, they had another, a similar, uh, uh, kind of poor performance against the team in the um, in the group stages, but I, I still have a I have a hard time seeing uh, Real Madrid fail to make it out of this uh, next leg here. Um, so we'll move on to the next one here. Um, Man City uh, beating Gladbach two nil uh, goals in the 29th minute by uh, Silva. And uh, 65th minute by Jesus. Um, what do you think, Chris? I know I know this is your team here. You have uh, some some in depth. I'll let you. I'll give you the floor. We'll get, let you give your uh, your take here. Well, I mean, this is really like the year that the pressure is on City more than it has been ever to win the Champions League. Um, you know, Pep Guardiola. That was what Pep Guardiola was hired to do. Um, and you know, they've made they've taken strides for this. They took a team that was um, on the older side and they brought in some youth. 
Um, and I, I think that city from a talent perspective is, it has all the tools it needs. I think they took care of business against uh Monk and Gladbach. Um, that's a fun name for announcers to say, I'm sure. Uh, but um, you know, I, I mean, nothing really surprising in this one. Uh, City's not the type of team that will run up the score on you. They're pretty clinical. Uh, they'll convert on their opportunities. And, you know, I think a 2-0 win in the opening leg is good. And I think uh, City's going to win this series. One one notable scratch from the lineup here was uh, Kevin De Bruyne, obviously one of the top top talents in the world. Was that uh, injury, Chris? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't following I that closely. I believe it was an injury. Um, that's uh, at least that's what I saw. I didn't like see the official report. I'm pretty sure it was injury related. Um, but you know, the nice thing about Manchester city is they've got the depth where, you know, as crazy as it sounds, losing Kevin De Bruyne, like is not a deal breaker for them, especially if they're playing a team like Monk and Gladbach, which isn't really like quite on their level. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and De Bruyne was back in their, in their last game against wolves anyway. So it seems to be maybe uh, just a little knock anyways. But, yeah. I guess I figured, uh, you know, save them up for the bigger, bigger matches. So yeah. I think, you, I think you can tell which way I think the series is going to go. I mean, if we're being completely honest, I don't think Manchester city should even be in the champions league, you know, because of, uh, Oh, you stop that, that right now, <laughs> but uh, here they are. Um, I mean, if they lose to go back, they deserve it because they shouldn't, uh, but I don't know what else to say. I mean, the city hasn't lost a lot back since 1979. So uh, if they do, it'll be a big disappointment. Uh, I don't think they will. Like, there's no way they're playing at home too. They have a two away goal lead. Um, I probably see this being another 2 0 or a 3 0 match where city kind of cruises by and um, coast their way to maybe getting destroyed by Bayern. So we shall see. <laughs> Well, City has been on fire lately um, in their past a handful of games here, uh, really, really dominating opponents. It, it may be interesting when you think of mindset going into, you know, the next game after a pretty decisive win. You have to, you know, see if your team can, you know, keep up that intensity, still got to put the ball in the back of the net uh, to get out of there. Or, well, I guess they, they don't if, if they defend well enough, but. In theory, you know, the, I'm sure Gladback will come and, and try to press them. But, uh, you know, Man City, definitely a good team, uh, leading the, the Prem by, by a handful of points. Um, and I, I don't really see them, them having a lapse. So we are through all the games here. Um, I think we're probably nearing about an hour and a half in terms of time. So I think we're going to head to our head to our conclusion here. If anyone has any last points they want to bring up, uh, then we'll uh, we'll uh, hear it. I, I mean, I was just going to say, I'm glad we finally got this podcast started up, um, you know, picked a good time with Champions League, getting into high gear with the knockout round. Um, that's kind of why I wanted to do Wednesdays is because, you know, that's perfect. It's like you can, if it's a Champions League week, you can preview, like review what happened during the week and all that. Um, so definitely people, if you're listening for the first time, keep it with us. We'll be here every Wednesday, uh, break stuff down. Um, and, you know, as we build up towards Euros too, that's definitely gonna be something we'll be all over. So um, yeah. Okay. Or anything you want to add? 
Yeah, obviously, you know, our inaugural episode um, is a fun one. We kind of dove into a little bit of everything. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's a lot more to talk about. So I'm sure we'll dive into that as we go on. Um, but, you know, looking forward to the future of this. So, again, this is just a start. But, again, excited to be here. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been real fun with you guys. Uh, and uh, wish you guys a good week. And we'll, uh, we'll see you back here uh, same time next week, hopefully. Um, but uh, for tonight, uh, this has been Jacob Berg, Chris Sanakis, right? Sakonis. Sakonis. Oh, boy. Uh, this you is are the first not week, the, guys. You're not the first the person. First <laughs> I usually oh, just no, say no, Chris. No. Don't apologize. That is a very normal mistake. Okay. Sakonis. No, Chris Sakonis. Yep. And uh, KR, I'm just going to try it. Palan. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, two ain't bad. So that's, that's pretty good. And I didn't mess up my own name. So that's always, go. that's always a good sign when you host your first podcast, but uh, anyways, it's been fun. It's been real and we'll see you next week.